Welcome to Directions in Rashi, a podcast that will help you understand individual comments from Rashi throughout the Chumash, and that will also introduce you to some of the general principles which I feel uh, directed Rashi in his creation of his commentary, and that will help us to understand his commentary better all around. Welcome. In Parsha Shmini, the Torah tells us which animals we may eat and which we may not. Let's begin in, in Sefer Vayikra, Perik Yud Aleph, Pasuk Aleph. Vayadaber Hashem el Moshe v'yalaharon le'mor alehem. And Hashem spoke to Moshe and to Aaron to say to them, Pasuk Beis, Dabru el Bnei Yisrael le'mor. Speak to the Bnei Yisrael, saying, this is the living animal that you will eat from amongst all of the behemoths, from amongst all of the uh, domesticated animals that are on the earth. These are the, these are the animals that you may eat. Gimel. Now, Pasa Gimel doesn't tell us specifically the names of specific animals. It tells us a general, um, general qualifications, what an animal needs in order to be considered kosher. Chol mafresis parsa, parsa, any animal that splits its hoof, vishesas shesef rasois, and it splits its hoof as the way Rashi explains it, mafresis parsa means that it splits its hoof on the hoof on the bottom, and shesa Shesa prasais means the split goes all the way up to the top. So it's a completely split hoof. We're not going to go into the, uh, the technicalities of that at the moment. We'll translate it we'll just uh, very uh, simply and not totally accurately as any animal that has a split hoof. Malas gero bavahemo. Any cud chewing animal amongst a behemo. <clears throat> That, such an animal, you shall eat. So in order for an animal to be kosher, in order to be, for it to be permitted for us to eat it, it has to have these two characteristics. It has to be mafresis parsa. It has to have a split hoof. If you, uh, if you look at the hoof of a, of, a, of a sheep or a cow, it has a very recognizable split in it. If you look at the, the hoof of a camel, certain other animals, it's very solid. It's one solid piece. So the kosher animal must have a split hoof, and it must be malagera. Literally, uh, how the way Rashi translates it is gera is the regurgitated, digestive, digest, partially digested food, which is then brought up through the throat, and then the animal chews it again. What we call in English chewing its cud. This is these are the what are called the ruminant animals, uh, cows, sheep, goats, etc. There are a number of others. They have uh, cows in any case have four stomachs. I think in general all the ruminants. I'm, I'm not an expert. They certainly have multiple stomachs, and the food goes down the esophagus into the first stomach, and it is partially digested, and then it's regurgitated back up into the mouth and it's chewed again and then down into the other stomachs 
over and over again. So such animals, if you observe them, they're almost always chewing something. Either they're chewing the food that they have just taken into their mouths or they're chewing what they've regurgitated. Let's just see one more Pasuk, Pasuk Dalit. Pasuk Dalit begins to tell us some specifics, some specific animals that we may not consume. Ah, however, as Zed, this you shall not eat from amongst those animals which do chew their cud and which do have a split hook, but this one you shall not eat. You shall not eat a camel. Why? Because it is the camel does chew its cud. However, but it does not split its hoof, does not have a split hoof. Tamehu lochem, therefore it is tame to you. Okay, let's go to Rashi. Rashi begins by focusing on these two words, zos hachayor, this is the chaya. We translated it as this is the living animal. Oh, sorry about that. This is the living animal that you will eat from all the behemoths, from all of the uh, behemoth that is upon the ground. This obviously is a somewhat superfluous phrase. Could have left it out. Could have just said, Zosa uh, behema, asher tochlu. Or could have just said, tochlu, kol mafres is parsi. You shall eat any animal that has split hooves, etc. So Rashi explains, what is the meaning of this phrase? Zosa chaya, l'shain chaya. Is a, an expression of chaya. Of course, the simplest explanation is it means a living animal, but there's an emphasis here, emphasis here on the idea of life. Because Yisrael, we are uh, attached, we are clinging to our Kodesh Baruch Hu. We have this close relationship with our Baruch Hu. and we are fit to be alive. Therefore, if the Lam Minatoma, Akodesh Borahu, separated them, meaning us, from Toma, the Gazar Alehem Mitzvos, and he also decreed upon us mitzvos. However, but to the nations of the world, he did not forbid, forbid upon them anything. And there is a marshal, this is a parable, this can be explained with a parable to a doctor who went in to visit a certain chayla, he went in to visit a certain ill person, and v'chula, Rashi just says, etc. Those are not my words, those are Rashi's words, v'chula. Kide'isa midrash Rabbi Tanchoma, as it is stated in the midrash of Rabbi Tanchoma. We will come and, and look at the midrash in full soon. But what I'd really like to concentrate on is the next Rashi. Oso Seichelu. Not really the next one. There are several in between, but the next one that I have here. Oso Seichelu. It you shall eat. So again, these words would seem to be superfluous. It says, Zosachaya Sher Tochlo. This is the animal that you will eat. Why do you have to say, and this you will eat? This you will eat. It says over here, toichlo. So this repetition, this is repetitious where it says, oh, saw, 
Rashi says, I saw These words, I saw this you should eat, is said, what, what the, it's like what the Gemara, the expression that the Gemara sometimes says is the diyuka. It's there for a diyuk, it's there for an inference, so that you should infer from it that this and these animals that, that, are, that have the split hoof and that chew their cud, those you should eat, below behemotomea, but not a behemotomea, not the unkosher animals. Rashi asakashia isn't there an asara? Isn't there a warning in the Torah that we should not eat animals that are not kosher? Take a quick look. You don't have to go too many psukim further. It says, for example, we don't even have to go here. It says in the next pasuk about the gamal, about the camel, it says, there is an asara, there's a warning. There's what we call a mitzvah's leisa say. It's one of the negative commandments of the Torah. Don't eat the animals that are not kosher. So why do we have to have a pusik that is medayak, that, in, that implies that you may not eat the behemoth tamea? We have a clear pusik warning us not to eat behemoth tamea. We have many clear psukim, several in any case. So Rashi answers, aleha ba'ase The Torah wanted, wanted that, wanted it to be that a person who will eat uh, from a non-kosher animal is over aleha ba'ase He will be transgressing a mitzvah ase, a positive mitzvah, because the Torah says, eat the kosher animals, which is for an inference. It is to, that we should infer from it and don't eat the non-kosher animals. And also aloysa say there's an explicit warning not to eat non-kosher animals. So comes out according to the halacha that Rashi is, is telling us here, the way he understands the Pasuk, the halacha would be that if a person uh, ate a piece of camel or a piece of pig and other non-kosher animals, so he, the person is doing two of things. First of all, he is obviously transgressing the, the Torah's azhara. He is obviously doing a losase. The Torah says, do not eat this, and he ate this. But he is also transgressing the positive commandment because there is a positive commandment, you shall eat from the kosher animals, which is there for the purpose of saying, of, of inferring that from the non-kosher, you should not eat. So you're getting a double avail. A person who eats non-kosher animals is getting a double avail. That's the Rashi. I'd like to begin, as I usually do, with what I call a technical question. Rashi here asks, asks Akashi, he asks a question. Isn't, why is the Torah saying, this you shall eat, meaning the kosher animals? Isn't there an azhara? Isn't there a warning? Isn't there a clearly stated that we should not eat what is not kosher? Now, this is a kasha that, that is based on a later pasuk. It is based on Pasik Dalit, or some Meforshim say that perhaps we should go a little bit later. Maybe that's only about the Gomel, maybe that's not general enough. But we have a general Pasik here in Pasik Ches, Kyupsukim later, Mipsaram Le Sechedu, from their flesh, meaning the, from the flesh 
of uh, of all of the non-kosher animals, you shall not eat. So either way, Rashi here is asking a question on Pusik Gimel from some later Pusik. And that is not generally Rashi's way of operating. As I've explained many times, usually when Rashi has a question, when, when Rashi is aware of some sort of a contradiction between Pusik A and Pusik B, which is later in the Torah, Rashi will usually save it for later. I mean, it makes sense, as I've explained many times. When you're reading Pusik A, so everything's good. This is what it says. It says the sky is blue. Very nice. The fact that there's a Pusik somewhere later that says the sky is green. Okay, when I get there, I'll figure out what that means. But this one is good. So why should I mention anything there? So here the Pusik says, uh, the Pusik is telling us, don't, the, the Pusik is telling us, you should eat the animals that are, that have a split hoof and chew their cud. That's good. That, that's understandable. That's nice. The fact that there's a later Pusik that says, don't eat the animals that are not like this. Well, how do you uh, put the two things together? That, 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 that should be left for later when we come to the next Pusik. So this is the technical question I would like to raise. Obviously, a very simple answer is that if the question that Rashi is asking is on Pusik Himmel, based on Pusik Dalit, so perhaps, although Rashi does not like to ask a question based on later Pusukim, but just one Pusik later, it's not so bad. In other words, it's all one piece. It's all one paragraph. Rashi looked at the whole paragraph at once, perhaps. But perhaps we can say a different and perhaps stronger answer. These words in the Pasuk, which Rashi, that's, those are the, the words that Rashi is commenting on. There are other ways to understand them. What I mean is Rashi begins his comment by saying that means below behema tohoira. That's not the only way of understanding this, these words. Rashi understands it as it is implying that you may not eat the behema tomeya, and that's a mitzvah said. There are other ways of understanding. One way, which is a mistake, but, but it, it, it's what the Pusik sounds like. It sounds like the Pusik is saying that you must eat behema tohoira, that you must, that there's some sort of mitzvah that you have to eat cows and sheep and goats and other animals that have split hooves and chew their cud. So that's one possibility. Although we know that's not so. We don't, uh, we don't make a bracha every time we sit down to eat a steak that comes from a cow. We don't, we, don't, we don't say that we are performing a mitzvah of eating kosher food. We make a bracha for the enjoyment of the food. But we don't say, Asher Kedoshanah B'mitzvah Mitzivanu Lechol Mi Behema Tohoira. So it's not so, but it's a possibility in the Pshat of the Pusik. That's exactly what the Pusik sounds like. And also the Rambam. The Ramban discusses at length the, the opinion of the Rambam. The Rambam says that these two words, Aisaw Seichelu, are forbidding to us to eat human flesh. It's forbidding cannibalism. How do you know in the Torah? Where does it say in the Torah, don't eat human flesh? 
you look around for an obvious explicit pasuk, you're not going to find it. But the Rambam says, Oksor means you shall eat from animals that are that have split hooves and chew their cud, implying, but not, you may not eat from two-legged animals. You may not eat from human beings. Can't eat their flesh, unless, unless you're uh, and the person has already died, then it has, is actually permitted to consume human flesh. That's not, the, that's not our topic now. But what I'm saying is, there are options other than what Rashi says. How to understand these two words? We saw Rashi chose in his wisdom to explain it in a particular way, and that's how he begins his comment here. This you shall eat, meaning the split-hoofed, cud-chewing animal, but not an unkosher animal. It could be that Rashi was certainly aware that there were other ways of understanding this person. And therefore, when he asks his question, isn't, isn't this included in a loisase? What he's really doing is asking on himself. He's not asking a question on the Pasuk. A question on the Pasuk based on a later, on a later Pasuk, Rashi would not generally ask. But a question on himself, that Rashi does ask, even from later Pasukim. And that I've, showed, I've shown many times. Rashi's question is on himself. I just said that means that it's inferring, it's implying that you may not eat a behemoth Wait a minute. Maybe I'm wrong. Doesn't there, isn't there a loisase telling me not to eat behemoth So why would I need this Pasuk to say to imply that you shouldn't eat a behemoth Not eating behemoth is not just something that we figured out based on a based on a an inference based on a diuk, not eating behemoth tamea is, is bazora. It is a specific something that the Torah specifically warned us not to do. So, so that was Rashi's question. He's challenging his own shot. And when it comes to challenging his own explanations, Rashi goes all over Tanakh and he asks questions from later Psukim and he asks a wide variety of different types of questions that he would not normally ask. So perhaps that's why Rashi here is asking from a later Pasuk. Now, what is Rashi's answer? Let's examine the answer. He tells us, yes, you're right. This Pasuk is implying that you may not eat a behemoth There's another Pasuk or another a couple of Psukim that say very specifically, thou shalt not eat non-kosher animals. But how do the two fit together? The answer is each one is saying something, something special. Our Pasuk is telling us, is implying to us me, that we should not eat behemoth tmeya. That comes out to be a mitzvah assay. The general principle in the Gemara is lav assay. When there is a when there, a prohibition is inferred from a mitzvah assay, it counts as a mitzvah assay. When you if you if you would Transgress it, we don't say you're transgressing a law. You don't get makais for that. It's called that you transgressed an aset. The Torah is saying, eat kosher animals, which implies, and not the non-kosher ones. If you eat a non-kosher animal, what have you transgressed? You've transgressed that imperative that you must eat kosher animals. That's one pasik, that's this pasik. 
And the other Pasuk, Pasuk uh, Dalit, or perhaps Pasuk Ches, is, is that's to tell us that if you eat non-kosher animals, you have, you have transgressed an explicit prohibition that a Kodesh Baruch Hu has, has decreed. You did a mitzvah, God said, don't eat it, and you ate it. That's, that's another level of transgression. Now, what is... What is mechudash over here, what is very new over here that we don't always think about is that there is some sort of mitzvah ase. There is a pasuk in the Torah that says, eat kosher animals. We don't always, we don't usually think of that. Um, truth is when you, when you study the halachas of kashras, when you learn the gemaras and the chulin and the Zara, and you look at the shulchan aruch yeridea, it's all about what you may not eat and then certain things don't fall into the categories of what you may not eat, and therefore you may eat them. Do you have to eat them? Is it some sort of a mitzvah to eat them? That you don't, that's not usually the terms that we speak in. But here, according to Rashi, it sounds like there's a mitzvah I say to eat kosher animals. The Pasuk says, oh, so, so, very interesting. Now, what this makes me think of is there is a famous question, what is called a hakira, a famous investigation, which is discussed by many mefarshim. I'm going to use as my text a sicha that the Lubavitcher Rebbe to friend of the bracha gave. It's in the first chelak of the Kutei Sichas on Parsha Shmini. There is a famous question. There are two simonim, there are two signs how to tell which animal is kosher. As we read here in the psukim, a kosher animal has to have split hooves, and it has to have, it has to be malas geira, it has to chew its cut. What is the meaning of that? Is this what's called simon ba'alma, or is this a sipa? Simon ba'alma, merely a simon, means that what makes the animals kosher is some, something that we don't necessarily know. It's factor X, Y, or Z. What makes them kosher? The the split hoof and the malagera is only a simon. It's only a way to identify it. That's one way of looking at it. Kodesh Baruch Hu decided for his own reasons, maybe we'll never know that, those reasons, or maybe if we think long enough, we could figure out those reasons. He said these animals are kosher. It has nothing to do with the split hoof and the, and the, uh, the chewing of the cut. Those are just simonim. Let's just help us identify that's one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it is no, that these characteristics that the Torah mentions here, those are the sebas, those are the reasons why, at least the primary reasons why these animals are kosher. There's something about an animal that splits its hoof and, and chews its cud that makes it kosher. That's the reason why it's kosher. The Rebbe says that, um, the Rebbe, in general, he brings many proofs or many supports to the second side of this Chakira, to the second idea, that it is the split hooves and the, and the uh, chewing of the cud, that in some way, we'll talk about it more, but that in some way is what causes the animal to be kosher. Those are kosher characteristics. There's something good about that. It's not just a sign. It's not just a, 
The Rebbe brings many proofs. One of them is quite simple. He goes to Pasuk Dalit, the next the Pasuk that we have looked at over here, and it says, this you should not eat, from animals that either chew their cud or split their hooves. The following you should not eat, and there's a list of several animals. The first one is, you should not eat the camel. Because it chews its cud, but but it does not split its hook. Look at these two words over, look at this word over here. Ki, because it chews its cud. Sounds like that's the reason why it's not kosher. Because it chews its cud, but it does not split its hook. So it sounds like, just from the Pusik itself, that these characteristics are what make the animal kosher. They are not merely identifying signs. I think there's another proof or indication of this from the Midrash Tanhuma that Rashi quotes. Rashi just mentions, uh, he kind of uh, clips it off. He says, how can we understand uh, the difference between the Wayakodesh Baruch Hu that gave us these mitzvahs about kashrus, about which animals are kosher or not, and he did not give them to the Umasa'ivam. So Rashi tells us that it's a marshal the reifish and ichnis the vakaris We can understand this with a parable about a doctor who went in to visit a sick person, chule, etc., as it says in the Medrash Rabbi Tanhuma. Let's take a look at the Medrash. Rabbi Tanhuma ben Chanilai Amar. Baruch allowed for the non-Jews all kinds of things that are usher. He allowed for them all kinds of creepy, crawly little creatures, and he did not allow them to us. Marshal the Mahadavadaya, a parable to, parable to which this thing is similar. The Shalach the A doctor went to visit two sick people, two patients. He saw one of them, he was in grave danger. He was basically about to, uh, yeah, he was like basically on his deathbed. Not much he can do for him. Omar Livne Besa. So the doctor said to the people in his household, give him whatever food he asks for, whatever he wants. He wants ice cream sundaes and, and uh, he wants all the bad food. Let him have it. He's dying it. Well, we'll see why. He saw the other patient who was going to live. Yes, he's ill, but he, he's going to live. He said to them, such and such food he should eat, and such and such food he should not eat. So people said to the doctor, what is this? What's going on? To this patient you said, let him eat whatever he wants. And to the other one you said, to the other patient you said, don't eat this and this. So the doctor said to them, to this patient who was going to live, to him I said, this you should eat, this you should not eat. That will help you recover. But the other patient who is for death, he's going to die. So I said to them, whatever he wants, let him have it. What's the difference? What's the difference if he eats unhealthy food? 
because he is not l'chayim, he is not going to live. That's the mush. What's the nimshal? What's the lesson? In the same way, Kodesh Baruch Hu permitted to the nations all kinds of disgusting little creepy crawly creatures. Abel Yisrael, Shehem Lechayim. But to the Jews, to the Klal Yisrael, who are Lechayim, we are destined to live in this world and in the next world. So Amar Lahem, he said to them, You shall be holy because I am holy. Do not cause disgust to your souls by eating disgusting things. And this you should eat. The following animals you should eat. And this, the following animals you should not eat. You should not become impure by eating the wrong ones. When it may and you will become impure if you do so. Etc., etc. Now, it's very interesting, if you look at the Midrash carefully, there's a, there are really two differences between the advice given to the, the patient who's going to die and the advice given to the patient who's going to live. To the patient who's going to die, there were no restrictions whatsoever. Do whatever you like. Whatever you want, you could do. To the patient who's going to live, there was a two-pronged approach. The doctor didn't just say, don't eat the following foods. Don't eat ice cream sundaes with whipped cream and, and, and I don't know what, and, and junk food and, and, and poisonous foods. And he didn't just say that. He did say that. He said, but he also said, he said, such and such foods he should eat. He recommended certain healthy foods which are beneficial, which will help him recover from his illness. And he also said, and don't eat the following foods. Those are poison for a person in your condition. This is repeated. When the doctor explained himself, he said to the patient who was going to live, I said, this you should eat because it's beneficial. This you should not eat. That's not good for you. And again, when the medrash uh, really... Um, expands and it tells us what the lesson is. So it quotes HaKadosh Baruch Hu as saying, this you should eat, and this you should not eat. Two-pronged approach. There are certain foods we should not eat because they are not good for us, uh, physically, spiritually, and there are certain foods that we should eat. This is what you should eat because it is physically and spiritually healthy for you. Now, although I wouldn't say it's muhrach, I wouldn't say it's an absolute proof, but this really sounds to me like the second side of the, of the Hakira that the Rebbe and that others make. It sounds like it's not merely that a kosher animal is not treif, not just that it's lacking certain bad qualities. Since it has no bad qualities, so you, you, you could eat it. I mean, it's not going to harm you, not physically, not spiritually. It sounds like from this Midrash that the foods that we are allowed to eat, not only are we allowed to eat, but a Kodesh Baruch Hu tells us to eat them. Why would a Kodesh Baruch Hu tell us to eat them? Because they are positively beneficial to us. That's kach v'chach ma'achal 
yoichal, such and such a food you should eat. It's going to make you better, just like the marshal, that it's going to help the patient feel better. So in the nimshal, it's going to make us feel better, physically and spiritually. The truth is, all the Midrash is really saying, the whole basis for the Medrash is exactly these words in the process that we are discussing here. Osa Sechevel, this you should eat. You see that the Prosik is telling us there are certain things that not only are permitted to eat, but Sechevel, you should eat them. As Rashi says, it's a Mrs. say. It's true, you don't have to eat them. You could eat something else, you could eat potatoes and carrots too. You don't have to eat these animals, or you could limit your diet to just cows and not, not, not ever eat a goat. Okay, it's not an Avera. Uh, we wouldn't say that you, you missed out on a mitzvah by not eating, not ever eating sheep or goats or, or giraffes or whatever other kosher animals there are. But there is something positive about, yes, eating the kosher animals. Oh, saw Techevel. It's a Rashi says it's a mitzvah. I say it's what is called not a mitzvah chiyubis, it's not a mitzvah that you must do, but what it, it is perhaps what is called a mitzvah kiyumis. It's a mitzvah that when you do it, you're going to get reward. You're going to get something good at it, good out of it. When you eat meat from cows and sheep and goats and giraffes and the other kosher animals, you're going to get something good out of it. What are you going to get? You're going to get the good physical and spiritual health. So it sounds like there is some, again, it sounds here like there are some positive aspects to eating those animals that are mafris parsa and male gelo. What are these positive aspects? That's the obvious question. I would like to begin with a, a comment from the uh, Chaim Kanievsky, a friend of the Ruff. I think we're still within the Shiva of his Petira. And so as a some little schus for his neshama that, 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 that we can make, we'll mention a word that he says, and then we'll go on to something else. Chaim talks about, he writes about this in his Sefer, Tamed de Kro, which I, not that it needs my recommendation, but I recommend it highly. It's a very, very interesting uh, approach to Hamish that he has. Chaim writes in his Sefer, Tamed de Kro, that when an animal is malagera, when it chews its cud, that takes a lot of patience. You have to keep going at it. You gotta, you gotta chew it and chew it and chew it some more, and then it regurgitates and you chew and you chew and you chew, and the cow is spending its whole day chewing. It takes a lot of patience. He says that's a mida that is very important for us to learn and for us to ingest. You are what you eat. If you're eating cow, if you're eating from the ruminant animals, from the cud-chewing animals, you are ingesting this mita of being able to work and to work some more and to work some more and to work some more. Um, this is perhaps a very appropriate uh, thought that is particularly appropriate to, to its author, who, who worked and worked and worked and learned and learned and learned and learned the same things over and over again. He learned kola tarakula every year. Um, chewing and chewing and chewing and chewing. That's the word from Reb Chaim. Lubavitcher Rebbe, Sechrein of the Bracha, gives a very a more comprehensive approach here. First of all, the Rebbe explains 
before we continue, the Rebbe points out another thing. We have this Chakira. Are the is uh, split hooves and chewing the cud, is that a merely a simon of kashvas? Does it just tell us? Does it just identify for us, for us which animals are kosher? Or are those the reasons why they are kosher? And the Rebbe is very much, uh, leans very much toward the side that they actually are reasons why the animals are kosher. But he says, even if you don't say like that, could it possibly be that it's merely a coincidence? HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who created the world and who created these animals, and he created them with these characteristics of, of the split hoof and, and chewing of the cud, the same Rebunish Lailam is the one who said in the Torah that these are the characteristics that identify an animal as being kosher. Could it be merely a coincidence? Not likely. There must be something about these characteristics that are good. Why is it that the kosher animals have these characteristics? Must be something kosher about it. Anyway, Jerebbe explains, first of all, that you are what you eat. That is an idea which really goes back uh, at least to Ramban, who discusses it here. And the Rebbe says, furthermore, that since we are talking about the kashras of a behemoth, the lessons that we can learn from it are relevant primarily not to our spirituality, not to uh, how we daven, how we uh, put on tefillin, uh, how uh, uh, the kavanas uh, that, that a woman has when lighting the Shabbos can't. We're not primarily talking about that. We're talking about what's called the nefesh of Bahamas. We're talking about our animal side, but how to be a kosher animal. Yes, we eat and we breathe and we reproduce and we excrete and we do all of the things that animals do. But we have to do them in a, in a higher way. We have to be a kosher behemoth. These psukim and these characteristics of the behemoths are teaching us how to be a behemoth to her. The Rebus begins with the characteristic of Mafris Parsa. It says that even though obviously an animal stands upon the ground and an animal is artsy, it is, it is an earthly being, and it, and, it, and it eats grass, it eats grass right from off the ground. But there has to be some separation between the feet and the ground. And that is the Mafresis Parsa. That is the split hoof. The, the feet of the kosher animal, the hoof of the kosher animal, doesn't sit flat on the ground. It's not totally touching the ground. There's parts of the feet that are elevated from the ground. That means even in its connection to the ground, but it's not totally connected to the ground. And that's the lesson that we have to literally ingest. That yes, we live on this earth, we have to eat and sleep and all of the other physical functions, but there has to be a little separation between us and the ground. We can't be, as they say in Yiddish, we can't be completely involved with earthly things. We have, there has to be a little separation. The Rebbe tells a, a story about, um, about his, um, his father-in-law's father, about the fifth Rebbe, Rebbe, the Rebbe Rashab, Rebbe Sholem Ber. Sholem Ber had a chassid who was a very fine chassid, a very uh, spiritual person. This person happened to be in the galoshes business. 
he manufactured and sold galoshes, the rubber overshoes. And the Rebbe Rashab felt that although this person is a very spiritual person, he was a little too involved in his business. Put a little too much of his kaiches into this business. The Rebbe said to him, he said, Fisin Kalashin, I've seen feet that are wearing galoshes. Over a cup in Kalashin, a head that's in galoshes, that I never saw. Your head is too much in your galoshes. You're thinking too much about those those rubber overshoes. Yes, we have to have kalashin. We have to have shoes that touch the ground. But you can't spend your whole life thinking about your shoes. There has to be a mafresis parsa. There has to be some separation between your feet and the ground. And when it comes to malagera, to the chewing of the cud, the Rebbe explains that when it comes to a Dava Gashmi, when it comes to Gashmi's, when it comes to physical things, when it comes to our physical existence and our physical needs, the things that we must do in the physical world, that you have to chew it over. You got to think. You have to think, should I do it? Should I not do it? How should I do it? When should I do it? You're not a, a totally or even primarily a physical being. You need physicality. You will and must engage in physicality, but you have to think about it and think about it. Should I do it now? How should I do it? When should I do it? With whom should I do it? And think again. He doesn't, the Rebbe doesn't quote it here, but uh, it's very, very well-known saying from his, from his father-in-law, the Rebbe of Yosef Yitzchak. He said, Nisht al-svasmin must make them. Not every, not everything that you may do, must you do. There are things which are permitted. It could be a chocolate cake, and it is, all the ingredients are kosher the mahadrin. It's 100% kosher. You may eat it. You don't have to. Maybe there's a reason why you shouldn't eat it. Maybe that's too much gashmias at the moment. Maybe it's not the right time. Maybe there's a different time to eat it. Maybe this is the time to have a piece of cake. Sometimes a person needs a piece of cake, and maybe not. The person has to be malagera. The person has to regurgitate the thought. Think about it clearly and think about it more than once. Of course, one should not become obsessive over it. I mean, you have to, you have to act in this world, and sometimes you have to act quickly. But not everything is just so simple, just because it's mutter, therefore do it. You, you have to have a thought process about when and how and if you should engage in certain areas of physicality. These are some of the lessons that we can learn from the, uh, the characteristics of the behemoths Sohoiris. And what is, what is uh, very uh, amazing and wonderful about these lessons is that we can literally ingest them. We can literally make them part of ourselves by consuming the animals that the Torah permits us and that actually uh, suggests to us that we should eat.